Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Project Sovereign. Today, I am with Ryan Faulkner-Hogg. Ryan is a writer, content creator, and founder of Atlas Geographica. Easy for me to say. Ryan, thanks for joining me for a chat. I really do appreciate it. Cheers, mate. How are you going? I'm good, man. I'm good. Ryan, I first saw you about two weeks ago. I was sitting in a cafe in uh, Istanbul. Uh, I was reading Nassim Taleb's latest book, I think it was. Um, and I just put his name in on YouTube and yeah. your channel popped up. So, uh, did and it actually? It did indeed. And, uh, and then it... Fuck, I'm lucky to, to hear that. I know, man. That's good. It's a good sign. And that yeah. sent me to, to your blog. Uh, I read it, subscribed to your newsletter and everything. So, uh, good work with that, man. It really resonated. Nice one, man. I really appreciate that. I'm actually stoked to hear that it came up in a, just a general search. Yeah. Yeah. Something like, it was something like um, maybe review of anti-fragile or something like yeah. that. And yeah. That's what come up. So yeah, good work. How long has Atlas Geographica been about and what is it? Yeah. So it's, it's only really, I've only paid attention to it for about a year. I've owned the domain for about a year and a half. Um, I initially opened it up to try and make it an affiliate website for travel companies. Um, you know, I had like a real commercial idea of this could be a really good side hustle blog with a, uh, making good affiliate links. Cause there's no demand in the, there's not even a supply actually in the tourism space of, um, people selling really expensive holidays through affiliate links. So I thought it'd be a great idea. It turns out it's way too early to do anything like that. For, for many reasons, not that interesting, but so I had it. And then I had all these word documents on my computer from over the years from writing. And I was like, well, why the fuck not? And just published some of the blog posts on there. Some of the initial ones mm -hmm. and realized I really liked it and actually got much further into sort of web development and SEO as a result of that, uh, uh to the point where now it's, you know, it's kind of a bit of a flywheel. There's the newsletter, the website's, hopefully firing on all the right SEO cylinders, yeah. you know, and, and actually writing is the, the most, probably the most satisfying sort of thing I'm doing, I reckon, you know, of all the different things. Yeah. Satisfaction really comes from writing. And what, what, what did you do before this? Cause it, when was it launched? Was it earlier this year? Yeah, no, it was this time last year. Okay. So what, what were you doing before year? that? Oh, I worked in numerous sales jobs. Uh, at the time I opened this up, it was um, with uh, software in the tourism industry in Amsterdam. So lived the last couple of years in Amsterdam. Right. Nice. Nice. So uh, regarding YouTube, you set that up. Is that like, a, like as a multimedia organization, as I can see, that seems to be where it's going. Was YouTube one of your first priorities or was that like a... Was it yeah, no, the... The, the YouTube man, honestly, the YouTube kind of came out of, again, I saw it as a decent opportunity for the Nassim Taleb stuff specifically because there wasn't much content out there. And he's, he's the kind of guy where the inserto, the five-part series he's created, it's going to be perennial and it's got a lot of staying power. It's evergreen. You know, he's talking about ideas from a couple thousand years ago. So it's likely to still be spoken about in a couple hundred years at least. So I thought, well, it'd be a good idea idea to actually turn these long blog posts that I've made on each of the books into YouTube videos because pretty low um, effort on my end and it could be hopefully a good result on on the other end and so that's kind of where it started like to be to be frank I I don't enjoy editing videos at all 
Um, I really enjoy the audio and I really enjoy the writing. So the, the, I just got my brother to edit the videos um, and chucked them up there and, you know, just see how they go. But now the, yeah, you'll, you would have seen and publishing interviews on the YouTube channel. And I have um, a lot of sort of financial videos that yeah. I am ready to release and stuff like that. But yeah, that, it's part of the file. Is that, is that like the, the financial stuff? Is it, uh, uh, is your vision to be more about you or, or a niche in particular? So is it all your like organic self manifesting itself? Yeah. Well, go on. What do you, what do you mean by that? So I suppose I, I'm sort of reflecting for myself because I have the, the idea in my mind, I always question myself, do I niche down and, and really focus on something? So you mentioned financial stuff there. Do you just go down that route or do you cover, you've got Nassim Taleb, I know he was in the financial world as well, but um, yeah. you've got, you do stuff on Carl Jung, which is obviously mm -hmm. psych, uh, psychology. Um, I do a lot of psychedelic stuff and, and history and stuff like that. So I'm always wondering to myself, do I just focus on one and narrow down or do I spread it across the whole, what I believe and, and yeah. you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I, I do know what you mean. It's a question of, um, of how much do you want it to be a commercial success? It's true that if you niche very specifically, you will uh, be considered a higher authority by Google and you will be able to more create your brand that people can recognize you as well, Alex Hickman, self-sovereignty. Okay. This is for psychedelic blog posts. Yeah. As soon as you put out a historical thing, it's like, well, we don't want to look at that. We just want to hear the psych, the psychedelic. So it's true that it, it's a commercial question for me. I definitely don't want to do that. Um, just because it, so I'd lose a bit of the authenticity at that stage. Like you said, you'd started with Nassim writing about Carl Jung. I mean, yesterday I published a blog post on ethos, pathos, logos, you know, it's kind of the, the secret source of great speeches. And then this morning I was writing one about a story that I had in Chucky Kidao in Peru. Like there is, it, it's by me not niching down, it does come at the cost of uh, the commercialization of the website because it becomes way more general. You know, if you look at any of the big guys out there, they are um, doing similar stuff to us. They are terrifically niched. And because they're terrifically niched, it's very easy for us as a consumer to understand what they're doing. And it becomes a lot easier to subscribe because we sort of know what we're going to get. But if you get this guy that's got his, his fingers in about 10 different pies, it's a bit more of a stretch to actually make that subscription uh, jump. Mm. So then I think for, for me, something that I probably should have done is... Um, taken out the URL in my own name. So Ryan Faulkner Hogg. So rather, instead of looking at Atlas Geographica, because it's like, what is this? Mm -hmm. If I only wrote about Nassim Taleb, you would know that Atlas Geographica is Nassim Taleb content. But because it's a bunch of different stuff, I think it's a little bit confusing. If I'd made the URL Ryan Faulkner Hogg, then people would know they're subscribing to me. And then part of my, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, I like this guy. And this guy likes all these different things. Someone like David Perel, for example, I'm not sure mm -hmm. if you're familiar with him. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he's done terrifically well tim ferris terrifically well so there's just uh yeah for, for me i definitely don't want to niche down to anything too specifically um and it's it comes at the cost of how commercially successful the different uh you know the website the podcast and the blogs can be you mentioned at the beginning that it, you sort of started it with a view for commercial success with the affiliate marketing and all that has that morphed yeah. into something different now yeah, no, it's, it's got nothing to do with the original idea. Hmm. But that's why the URL is so, so freaking retarded. It's Atlas Geographica, spelt the Norwegian way. You know, it's, 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 um, it's a total failure when it comes to 
understanding what the website's about. It's sure, two random yeah. words put together. And that's, that doesn't mean that it's, it's a massive, you know, hamstring, but it is, uh, it would have been better something else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how's your, uh, newsletter going? I got, I got my first one a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. Oh, nice. No, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. I maybe got it. Yeah. The newsletter's going, I'm not, I really, I think all the content creators keep their newsletter stats really tight to the chest. Mm. I want to be able to figure out how I am going, mm. um, but I'll maybe get on a good day. I'll get maybe five new people join in. Um, which over time, I mean, that accumulates quite well. And you know, with this content creating stuff, it is a massive slog. It's such a ridiculously competitive domain that you're going to be in the dumps for a very long time, regardless of your content creation. Then all of a sudden, you'll start getting these disproportionate payoffs where, you know, 10 subscribers took a month previously and now 10 subscribers takes 10 minutes. You know, that's kind of how um, it goes if, if you manage to break through that ceiling. Um, but it's, I mean, we're in a really competitive domain here. You know, a million blog posts are written every day. Yeah. I heard that the other day. I think it might be no, for myself, that. actually. That's crazy, man. And, yeah. and you know, if, if you're searching for these eyes in a, in a, a, a non-niche domain, that's quite a difficult market to tap into. Right? No, certainly. Yeah. So uh, I've got about 250 subs. I had about 250 email subscribers about six months ago. Um, and nice I've, re- I've released a, a, an online course. Um, and my mate shared it, and for some reason, it just blew, I say blew up in comparison to some other people. It didn't, uh-huh, blow up, uh-huh. but for me, it blew up. Uh, yeah, and I got just shy of two two thousand off that alone. Off How'd that you, on course, mate? That's that's brilliant. Are they the email uh, list is probably the best single connection you could you Agreed. can create with your audience. Mm. So how did you how did you manage to build it over that period of time? What do you do to 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 promote it? Uh, but I shared it with what you might call an influencer. He wasn't much of an influencer, in all fairness. Um, but he, he got enough traction. He got enough sh- uh, shares through Facebook. A couple of Facebook groups got hold of it and whatever, and were sharing it with their people in the mm. groups. And that's where it just sort of, sort of a, a mini black swan, if you like, because I wasn't expecting it at all. It just come yeah. out left field and just... And uh, just mate, to get 2,000 from 250,000, that's amazing. Well, I was, I was fortunate. I mean... It, it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing, but you, you want a couple of zeros on the end of that, don't you? <laughs> Have you been able to, I suppose, reaffirm the new people that have subscribed? You know, are they sort of sticking around? Are they opening up the emails? Are they clicking on the links in them? And yeah, stuff? yeah. We're looking around 45% opening rate, which I don't... I only send one email a week on, uh-huh. a, on a Sunday. Um, uh-huh. And I put my four, four or five best things that I've come across Yep. In the week, including my own stuff, what I've shared on Facebook or YouTube or through my website. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Um, the unsubscribe rate's minimal. You might get nice. That's really good. A week, so, so yeah. Do, do, you, do you know anything about um, making sure that the email doesn't end up in a spam folder? This is a problem I've been having. I feel like I, I'm getting about a 30% open rate. And wow. I've made it very obvious now on my when people subscribe, like check the spam, drag it into the primary folder. I've been saying this, but there's really only so much you can hold a person's hand. The real solution would be to be able to just get your email provider to recognize that if someone subscribes, it's by definition, not spam. Yeah. yeah. And, and somehow how to figure that out. You know? I'm a very, I'm a non-techie. I don't know about code, you know, anything like that, but okay. <laughs> my, my missus does 
she's got a digital marketing, small digital marketing company. So she, she's reasonable with it all. And nice. she got in touch with our uh, email host. Um, and she said to them, you need to make sure that these emails don't go to spam. What do you do? And it was something like you had to change the pop coding or something. Oh, uh, but there is a thing to do. All right. That's nice. Maybe yeah. your girlfriend could, um, could, could tell me what she did. Yeah. yeah I'll get I'll send her an email. Get yeah. That, that'd be nice. Yeah, that'd yeah. be nice. Cool. Cool. So you got into Nassim Taleb. Let's talk a little bit about him. When, when did you read his stuff? Yeah. So Nassim, he, he came about beginning of the year. You heard of a guy, Naval Ravikant before? I have. Yeah. So Naval makes a big deal of Nassim, you know, he, um, really kind of brown noses him at times. And I'm like, all right, well, let me give this guy a go and picked up, I think it was anti-fragile. No, it was skin in the game because mm. he was promoting skin in the game, which was the final of the uh, inserto five book series that came out at the end of last year. So he was promoting skin in the game and I picked it up and I was like, there's a really cool idea. Um, I like Nassim. I like what he's about. You know, he's, I go to his Twitter and the, the first picture I see is him deadlifting in his living room. <laughs> Miles. Yeah. I'm like, all right. This is a bit of a, this is a bit of an interesting character. So uh, got into a bit more, watched more YouTube on him before I tackled any of the books. Um, but then was like, yeah, I, I really like this guy. And, and I, I was also pretty hungry for, you know, a bit of a mentor, even mm. though I've never met the man, never communicate, communicated with the man. I'm sure you know how it is. It's like so many young men are looking for sort of a, a strong, firm, uh, disciplined masculine role model and a lot of us don't really they didn't really get that in the home and they didn't get that at school and they'd never got that around their friends and so that's why the the self-help scene is just uh, uh, so cult-like because there yeah. are just so many men out there really desperate for this yeah. and, and and I uh, you know certainly was one of my last on Jordan Peterson when he became big and but then Nassim and I was like really like this guy uh, flew through his work to the point where I have now, I run a podcast called the, the Inserto and Nisinta led podcast. I'm not sure if, if, if you saw that, but it, again, it's kind of the only podcast that's doing this in his space. We should talk about that later as well. Cause that's actually the only thing I've done. That's gotten sort of actually a lot of attention, mm. but I was like, these are great ideas. Um, and just, and just went through, but that's how I discovered him through Naval Ravikant. I know I'm sort of, I sort of babbled on a bit there, but that, that's how I discovered him. Have you read the, uh almanac of uh the navalmanac yes yeah that's it yeah have you read that uh, i i i did get on the kindle and i started going through it and i realized oh this is just the transcript of naval's how to get rich episode so i yeah. i felt a little bit ripped off actually yeah yeah, um, yeah because i've listened to that podcast many times it's unreal in terms of the amount of uh signal to time spent i mean it it it's unreal. Naval's a super enlightened guy. Yeah, he's a genius. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. So with the, the Nassim Taleb, you mentioned that that's got a lot of traction. What, what do you think was different there to, to anything else you've done? Uh, because it was just a demand supply thing. In the, in the YouTube, there's a lot. In writing, there's certainly a lot. But in podcast, I think it was this nice meeting at an inflection point where podcast listeners tend to be more knowledge workers. They tend to be more demographically similar to us. You know, our mums aren't listening to podcasts. Our dads aren't listening to podcasts, but our brothers and sisters and mates around our age are sort of getting amongst it. And so there is a, 
a consequence of the demographic, then also a consequence of there was no other Nassim Taleb podcasts and Nassim has only appeared on very few podcasts. So if you are someone that wants to learn more about Nassim, you'll either go to YouTube, you'll go to his original texts, or if you're like us, kind of new generation, you, you go to a podcast. I, mm. I, I immediately go to podcasts if I want to learn something more. So um, it's just a consequence, consequence of that. I'm the only person out there with a podcast on Nassim Taleb. And um, it's, it's, it's the most exciting thing I'm doing for sure, because I'm sure you know how it is as well. When you force yourself to write about something and you force yourself to speak about something, you clear the ideas in your head yes. and you actually yeah. sharpen your understanding of them. And that's been so brilliant doing this because I did the writing, then I did the YouTube and now I'm doing the podcast. And now I actually feel like, holy shit, I, I, I can actually tackle the ideas of the inserto competently. And this is like pretty exciting. I think it's quite a common, a well-known thing that you learn a lot by teaching other people. Mm. Uh, what what you've received within reason, obviously. If you don't know fuck all, and then you start teaching about it, there's a <laughs> lot of those people about man, as well. A lot of those gurus and stuff that you mentioned, Jordan Peterson. There, I like Jordan Peterson. This isn't to yeah. knock the guy at all, but it, there's sort of like a, a cult like following about the guy now. And I that absolutely is. I wanted to talk to you about this because mm. I saw that your last post was exactly about that. Mm. About the unconscious uh, and how our unconscious minds are grasping onto, to, yeah, uh, the the anima figure that we need to. Yeah. I don't know if this is a synchronicity or not, Alex, but you might've seen like two articles ago, I wrote the exact same thing. No, I didn't read that, mate. No, I that's did. A, that's a yeah. So it's, um, it was, uh, it was called, is Jordan Peterson taking us for a ride? 12 more rules. And I basically uh, said, I came to the same uh, conclusion that you did. People are projecting the father figure onto Jordan and Jordan Peterson knows this. he, Actually, I shouldn't speak definitively. I would think Jordan Peterson should know this since he is a clinical psychologist. He's gone to hell and back with Jung and Nietzsche. Like he should, he should recognize his position within the culture and his inability to, to acknowledge it and to tell his followers that he is no longer their shepherd. They must move on to others. Yeah. Yeah. Is a disservice and seemingly just in, in the service of, commercialization selling more books more courses all the the 12 yards yeah yeah and it, it does make me question as well i know that he had a, a difficult time with his what happened with his wife and and whatever but when you get addicted to like pills and stuff and then you're, you're writing 12 rules for life and telling people how to live there's there's an yeah. incongruency there somewhere there is there certainly is and i i, I got quite a lot of pushback on that point exactly because on mm. twitter i made a go of it and you know just to sort of create a bit of attention i suppose yeah, yeah, yeah. um and people coming back well if 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 i chose my books based on something bad the author did i'd have no books on my bookshelf and i'm like it's not a very good equivalent is it i mean yeah. if i'm if i'm sitting here and i'm trying to sell you self help and i've just come out of rehab you need to have you need to have a middle ground where you discuss why the rehab comes about, where you kind of justify to the world why you have an authority still. Because it was very clear. Twelve Rules for Life was one of the best selling books of 2018. It was yeah. very obvious Peterson had an amazing authority. You know, he he genuinely could say to you, This is good for your life. His authority's gone now. And something I I um I I said in the article was 
it seems like the hunger for Peterson, the hunger for the, the, the masculine role model, the anti PC guy in the culture, the hunger is still there. And so the question has to be asked, well, then how effective was Jordan Peterson? Did he actually fulfill what he intended to fulfill? And he's coming back now and seemingly he's heard the people that are diehard for him yeah. are more happy than ever. And they want to see more of the old Peterson. And, and it, yeah, the, the, the question really becomes like, is who, who, why, what is it within the culture? What, why does this narrow, but nonetheless deep chasm exist? And is Jordan Peterson really the answer? I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, fun to, it's fun to think about, but it's also quite contrarian to think about, which is why I thought that's a brilliant synchronicity that this bloke I'm going to talk to tomorrow <laughs> happens to be the only other guy I've heard uh, say this idea. <laughs> yeah, I think you nailed it at the beginning that uh, particularly young men, they're, they're looking for that father figure. And I think mm. many men have six female archetypes and we haven't got a relationship with them. It's not just a a masculine problem. I think it's a feminine one within, mm -hmm. within the man. The animal is out there searching for everything to fulfill ourselves and make ourselves whole. And that the animal within us, I think, is projecting onto Jordan Peterson uh, and others. I mean, I've done it with all, loads of people all the way through my life. It's not yeah. just Jordan Peterson, right? But I was a professional sportsman. I used to do it with David Beckham and Ronaldo and all these people. You do it. It also helps you to grow and ascend and, and whatever else as well. But sometimes you have to take that inner gold. Uh, Robert Johnson, a Jungian analyst, you have to take that inner gold back and claim it for yourself rather than keep projecting it onto them. Mm. It's yours. You're just putting it out there for the time being. And then when you're ready, you need to go and get it. Now, Jordan Peterson, to me, isn't, he seems like the Christ figure. So you've got, you, know, you have Jesus Christ that's created a religion. Well, he hasn't created a religion, but people have created a religion around Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, and and once you make that an ideology rather than a myth, there's a big fucking problem. And Jordan Peterson now seems to be an ideology. It's, he's not a, uh, he's not a part of a personal myth anymore. Mm -hmm. It's an external issue that people need to now yeah. overcome, like Christianity it, or all the other fucking major religions. Exactly the same thing. It, it's it's almost a little bit uh, tripe, isn't it? How how clear his hero's journey is. And, and how, yeah, I mean, you say he's like Christ-like figure. I mean, people are definitely making that leap and they're happily making that leap. Mm. That, that feeds into the, uh, the, the story of Peterson is, is one of, actually, no, I don't want to go down that route. I, 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 I'm sure you feel the same. I fucking do like the guy. I think yeah, he's yeah. tremendous. Mm. Um, and he was the founder of, I think, the founder of what's known as the intellectual dark web as well, wasn't he? And you've got like uh, Weinstein and all those people. Yeah. That, I think that. I think Eric Weinstein was the the guy who gave it the the name. He coined mm. it. Mm. So but that's been funny, isn't it? How that's sort of fallen apart in the last couple of weeks. Have you seen that? No, tell me more. Um, so, uh, Dave Rubin has pretty much completely uh, flipped on his politics, which oh, everyone I've has saw a right that to do. The last, yeah, I've saw that for the last yeah. two or three months. I, to there. be fair, I mean, I think Ruben doesn't have much going on upstairs and he's a bit <laughs> dull to listen to. 
But I, I'm not sure if it's fair that he gets uh, as slated as he does for, for flipping on his politics because everyone's got the fucking right to flip on their politics. Uh, the question is, is, is he, um, is, does he actually mean what he's saying? Whatever. It's pure speculation. But because of, because of what's happened to Dave Rubin, I think, and he was like Jordan Peterson's right-hand man, like Sam Harris is sort of, he, he officially exited the, the intellectual dark web on a podcast recently, you might've seen. And then, Eric Weinstein came out and spoke about it as well in, in another podcast and Joe Rogan sort of separated himself from it and Ben Shapiro doesn't want to be a part of it. And so <laughs> it's kind of, it, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, gone. And to be fair, it's probably a good thing. It's another, it's another sort of tribe to latch onto, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, people got to individuate. We, we don't need tribes to justify ourselves. Yeah. That's something people don't want to do though, because it takes responsibility and courage and that's vastly missing in the world. Uh, mm. living in the nanny state i don't know what it's like where are you in the world at the moment well i'm in stockholm you're talking oh, nice. about nanny states but um i'm from australia clearly you might have heard yeah yeah i'm in the uk but tell uh, me tell me a bit about about yourself like i read your i read your about me on the, on self-sovereignty but mm. um you know you're a professional athlete and you're clearly into the into the what do you say, the, the woo-woo corners of the world? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I am as well, that. not as a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm into that, but I'm very wary of actually um, pulling it out there as, as woo-woo stuff. Um, mm. I only talk about stuff that I've experienced. I don't talk about, like, you know, freaking moving into the fifth dimension, all that bullshit. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? I, I work, I'm trained in um, shamanism with, with European shamans and stuff like that, and... Uh, it just took me a journey from professional footballer or soccer. It took me from there to who the fuck am I now? I don't know who I am anymore. My identity is completely gone. Um, is that because your identity was this footballer who does what footballers do? Yeah, I was, I was just that guy, the guy at school who, you know, played football. I was me and another lad were the best at football forever, all the way through school. Uh, all yeah. the dream was let's play football, let's play football, let's play football. I did reasonably well at school, but nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. Mm. And then uh, signed a professional contract and then that got ripped away 12 months later. Uh, and that was it then. I was like, oh my God. All Why did it get done. ripped away? Performance related, injury? Performance related, um, psychology, um, mentally couldn't handle it. Couldn't oh, right. Yeah, weak. Um, but it was just, part, that's my myth, you know, and, and that's part of, who I am now, if I didn't, have, if I wouldn't have gone through that, I wouldn't be the person sitting in front of you just talking about yeah. stuff that I find far more meaningful and fulfilling than kicking a bag of air about. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I, I don't resent it or anything. I, it makes me who I am. And, uh, and now I just love writing and reading and studying and sharing that with everybody else. That's about it really. Mm. I've got no idea about technology. I just black the life out of all of it. Like I struggle to get on zoom half the time. <laughs> very, very average guy. Very well, it's good you got your digital marketing misses around. I mean, did she do the website? Because your website's really well done. Thank you. Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. she did. I mean, yeah. I'll set up the, the company. I've got, I'm an investor as well. I invest in stuff. I made a lot of money from real estate over the last uh-huh. eight to nine years. So I can invest into different companies and uh, cryptocurrencies and stock market and whatever else. Mm-hmm. A bit more speculative. So, uh, yeah, it, everything's going well, man. I really enjoy this. This is just my life. Project Sovereign is, is my side hustle. If you like. I don't care about money. I made my first 35 pence off YouTube. Uh, nice. 
early December. Do you know what I mean? Just little, little Rats, things like mate. that. It's, it's nothing to do with the money, you know. It's just like, yeah. oh, fuck, look, we've actually done something. Yeah. But that's good because that means you got up to a 1,000 subscribers. Yeah, we were at 1.98 we were at. But I've never actually done a, an individual video. You know, like you that's do where you, where you talk. Yeah, how do you get subscribers then? Podcast, so like this, I'd share this. Okay, wow. Interesting. So you know what you do? with You had the uh, Swedish investor one. Oh, I love that one, yep. by the way. He's a smart guy. Oh, nice. Cheers. Ludwig. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, a, he's a fucking smart lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I listen to that. I just, just share things like that. And uh, I've got a private group on Facebook. who It's very close-knit, and it's very like I'll share something every day. And it's like, I love a, it. you know, raving fans. Have you read that, Ken Blanchard? No. So it's about like getting a very small amount of people who really get what you do and really encourage you to do things at they'll buy off you rather than having 10,000 you might get one percent you have um a thousand fans and 50 percent of them will buy right yeah for example yeah that sounds of thousand true fans kevin kelly yeah yeah that's yeah. it yeah yeah very similar stuff yeah yeah so uh yeah that's me man I'm, there's nothing special here at all i mean i just cling on to the works of most of the people to be honest <laughs> oh but i i like what you said that I just like reading and writing and putting it out there. Mm. It's uh, that's, that's a really, it's very simplified, but I really like that. Cause I'm trying to also describe why I like doing it or what I like to do. That's pretty, that's pretty down the, down the, down the line, mm. like reading, like listening, like then writing. And if you can fucking set up a lifestyle around that, I mean, that's pretty bloody magnificent, you know? I think it's important as well for us as individuals to know our limitations. That I'm not, not never going to be a, a basketball player, a professional yeah. basketball player. And a lot of these people, particularly in the woo-woo stuff, it's like, oh, law of attraction, this and law of attraction, that. So I can do anything I want. So hang on. Mm. Let's, yeah, let, if I can hold your horses. Let's know our boundaries and our limitations, is... you know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, law of attraction, that, well, that all stems, that ideology of gurus on a stage, very Eastern, is, a, is like a Gnostic principle, Gnosticism, which is live for your next life. Don't live for now. Go to the gurus, sit, in, sit at the feet and uh, sacrifice yourself for your heaven. And that's a Gnostic principle that we're living by. And I think it's one of the most toxic ideologies that we've got in the West. I think it's, it stops individuation. Mm it stops that process. And I think that's why Carl Jung struggled with Christianity a little bit. So you've done a lot of work. You want to say more about, about that, how Gnosticism came to the West? I've never heard of this before. Uh, yeah, I can do. I mean, what we have to be careful of is that uh, you have to separate Christianity and Gnosticism. No, people think Gnosticism means knowledge, right? Gnosis, knowledge, which it does. But the, the overall Idea, idea of Gnosticism is that uh, you sacrifice yourself to the greater good and you live for the afterlife, you don't live for now, which naturally manifests uh, a hatred of nature because nature's here and now, uh, a hatred of the human body, a hatred of the flesh, which is why we get a hatred of sex uh, issues around that, and, and you know, it's, it's manifesting in other ways as well now. But, so 
I mean, it's a, a Middle Eastern thing, obviously, of Israel and everything. That's where Gnosticism, essentially, it was Egypt where all these religions come from, Judaism and whatever else, with the 18th Egyptian dynasty. That's where most of this stuff comes from, and Pharaoh mm. Ark and Art. I don't want to go into deep, too much detail with it, but... Yeah. Uh, and it's bled all the way through. Uh, and I think what we're going through right now into this te technological age is, is a collapse of that. So all this is like a big shitstorm. Now, we've seen a political leaning to the right, it seems. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is away from the, the socialist ideology of sacrificing yourself for the greater good. And I think that's an end to a Gnostic ideology. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've gone off there. Yeah, no, it, it's, um, I mean, I'm following. I'm following. I'm interested. I want to ask you a question. It's a bit of an unfair question and pretty hard to answer, I'm sure. Mm. But like, what is your worldview? You know, <laughs> because I going through self-sovereign, I was self-sovereignty. I was, and I'm trying to piece it together. Mm. Um, Me too. You know, I um, might be, you know, in terms of philosophical influences, probably Nietzsche and Jung, you know, like most, <laughs> most boys out there. But um, Aristotle, uh, the um, Seneca, yeah, Marcus Aurelius, things like that. But, but sh sh go on, because it it seems like you're uh, you're talking about ancient religions, ancient mythologies, ancient ideas. Uh, you just brought up ancient Egypt again. I was on your site and I was looking at the courses, and it was the uh, ancient history ancient yeah. history course. I mean. Yeah, I um, I'd just like to hear a little bit if you can. I know it's a yeah. it's a fucking a, different question. Yeah, but it's, it. it's fucking huge because, quite frankly, yes, I think Taleb would agree. Most of our history is fucking bullshit that we're told is most of it is rubbish. Yeah. So so the yeah. ancient history webinar that I put together was very basic. I think I did it back in April, and I was like, let's pull a webinar on and see who's interested. Mm -hmm. Um, have you do you know Helena Blavatsky? No. She wrote The Secret Doctrine um, and Isis Unveiled. Rudolf Steiner? No. Uh, German philosopher. So it was a lot of it was their work combined and sharing an alternative history that we don't talk about in the West. Now, if okay. you go to the East, they talk about 26,000 years, uh, sun cycles that all human beings have always gone through. Mm -hmm. It's like an intelligent design, if you like, 25,920 years. And as we go through that cycle, every 13,000 years, say, for simplicity, we enter from the Golden Age, we go down to the Iron Age, and then the Iron Age back up to the Golden Age. So take it with a pinch of salt, take it for what it is. But I just shared this information with people who have never heard it before. Mm. Um, and it makes sense that if you go to the Hindus, that like they'd laugh that we didn't know that it's only because right. we live where we live that we, 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 we weren't aware of it. Right. Yeah. Well, we're totally, we're a consequence of our culture. If exactly. it's not about culture, we don't know it. Yeah, exactly. So we're on, apparently according to Hindu scripture, we're on our way back up. So we, we're entering, we're exiting the iron age again. And this is what all this is about according to Hindus. And when you say all this, uh, you mean where the, where cultures are at now? Uh, I'm talking about like the, the, the mass upheaval in, in society at the moment, everything okay. is just completely up in the air, isn't it? No one really understands what's going on. We can predict until the cows come home, but no one really knows, do they? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of predicting, no one can say, but it's true that there's 
a massive hole in the understanding of meaning or at least the search for meaning. And there's mm. very you, few answers available. Do you know a guy called Daniel Schmattenberger? No. Brilliant name. Oh, it's a monstrous name. And his language Schmattenberger. Right. Schmattenberger. His language is phenomenal, but you have to really yeah. fucking concentrate on him, man. Otherwise, right. you just completely lose trail of thought. Yeah. There's a lot to tackle. It is, but it, he talks a lot about meaning. Uh, okay. Yeah, so it's worthwhile listening to him. And uh, Jamie Will. Mm -hmm. I think he yeah. read Fire with the Gods. Okay. Yeah, I've heard the book. Yeah, yeah. He read that one. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a YouTube channel called Rebel Wisdom who get a lot of them on. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I've seen them come across. Yeah, it's worthwhile checking those guys out because they talk a lot about that. Look, uh, I think my, my biggest exposure would be someone like Graham Hancock in the idea of alternative histories. Mm. Well, Hancock, the trouble is with Hancock is that he's, a, he's plagiarized a lot of other people and he never recognizes them. No, really. That's not fucking good play. Like Emmanuel Velikovsky... Uh, talks a lot about like a, a, an ancient flood that wiped off the majority of human beings on the planet. Flood? Yes. Yeah. Now you hear that of Graham Hancock, and I know with certainty that he got that from Velikovsky. With right. certainty, because he's even written it the fucking same. Mm -hmm. And he never mentioned his name. So it's That's just, yeah, it's just things like that that just uh, put me off Graham Hancock, and I know he's got ghost he's a huge as commercial well. success. Mm. Yeah. But there you go. You know, if people get stuff from him, then then he's doing his job, I suppose. And if he opens the eyes of people mm -hmm. to an alternative history, then he's doing his job. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Let's talk a little bit about um, investments and everything. Do you, are you an investor yourself? Yeah. What do you invest in, if you don't mind me asking? So pretty much um, I try to stick to value investing. I don't have the capital to get into real estate. So... Over the years, for the last 10 years, I've been doing it. 10 years, that's fair? Yeah. I probably made the first investment when I was about 16. Um, stocks, ETFs, uh, that's pretty much exclusively it. Right now, I've got uh, Ludwig, the interview I did, he put me onto two really good Swedish companies. Um, my ETFs are Asian Tigers. It's a beta shares ETF, but it basically has indexed the best tech companies out of Asia that isn't China. So the tiger economies. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got gold exposure, crypto exposure, a bunch of Australian companies. Um, for instance, I bought after the first dip. So I missed the bottom of the market thinking right. that we were going to go down again. This is when COVID hit. And so, but I probably bought most around June. So there's been quite a, uh, yeah, nice, uh, nice surge in the market since then, but yeah. basically stocks and ETFs. Um, I would love to get into real estate, but like I said, just don't have the capital for it. I'm flirting with the idea of placing my first ever short on Tesla. Nice. I don't know if you saw a couple of days ago, the um, memo that was leaked. Did you no, see that? No, I haven't seen it. No. So Elon sent a uh, message internally and he was basically just saying, it's amazing how good our stock price is, uh, but you should all know we only have about 1% profit margin or 1% profitability. I'm not sure what it was. And uh, we need to be as conscious of cost cutting as ever. You know, he's saying all sort of stuff. And he was saying that all it takes is one, uh, all it takes is one mistake and that stock price can be cut in half tomorrow. 
like a sledgehammer on a souffle. That's what he said. Mm. Okay. And then Michael Berry, uh, famous for big short fame, mm-hmm. uh, he comes out and goes, all right, you know, I'm officially placing this short on Tesla because, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty plain and clear that the stock is ridiculously overpriced. Yes. Now that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be then corrected by the market because there's so much Elon hype that that keeps the stock growing. Like there is enough, it's a, it's a, it's like this viral network marketing scheme, Elon Musk companies. It, it has been separated from the actual value. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Berry came out announcing he's putting on a big short. And I was like, well, if Michael's saying it, <laughs> maybe it's a good idea. So, but I'm, I'm tossing that up, but yeah, that's, that's, that's essentially what the investing is. I want investing to, to work. I wanted to complement the lifestyle, you know, I, you know, because it'd be great to make income from, um, um, Atlas Geographica, the YouTube, the mm-hmm. podcast, whatever. Uh, but you can only really make outsized returns from having, a little bit of an equity in something. So yeah. I want, I really want, I, I, I emulate Tim Ferriss a lot in this idea. You know, he built up a ridiculous network to the point where he's getting, he, he rubs shoulders with the future angels, the future angel companies. And so it's like, that's, that's what I'd really, really love to dip my toe in a bit further. Ludwig, for instance, he's, he's doing this right with these right. Swedish companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what it, that's what it means to me. I mean, I, another ambition I had, I'm just fucking freewheeling here. So stop me if you, if you want, but, um, another ambition I have was to, to try and, uh, figure out a a new exchange for coffee commodities. Uh, well, the, the commodity coffee, uh, just because a lot of these commodities are priced based on whatever the future contracts are on the commodities market. And it fucks the farmers. It totally fucks them. Ah. And, you just kind of wish that there was a better way. Um, but that's kind of end of life stuff. You need crazy influence and wealth to do something like that. But I'm just like putting it out there as an ambition. That'd be cool. Yeah. 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 So why did you say you haven't got into real estate capital? Capital, purely capital. Uh, I'm not sure if you've met many Australians or if you have many that listen, but they'll understand what I'm fucking saying. It's like written into our DNA that we need to own land. (laughs) So, so, uh, you know, from day one, it's always been safe. So you can make an investment one day, always been that. And, um, therefore that's written into me. I would, I'd really want to be in real estate, but quite, yeah. quite frankly, just can't afford it. Yeah. I was very fortunate to fall upon an, uh, an Australian guy called Rick Otten. Rick Otten? Rick Otten. Cotton. Oh, okay. And, uh, he, he's just got the, apparently he's just got the biggest corporate fine in Australian history. Apparently. Oh fuck! Yeah, yeah, he was dead proud of it as well. He thought I might as well fucking go for the whole lot now. Proper <laughs> entrepreneurial, and uh, he taught me all about options and and contracts and all that. So that's how I first got into it. I just started using option contracts in order to, to to acquire real estate. So and then when I read Taleb stuff, he talks a lot about optionality and mm. using options. Uh, I think was it uh, was it Taleb? He's what was it Taleb? And the grapes or something like that. That's a story where he put a, an option on a plot of land. He waited for the grapes to grow and made a fortune and give the land back or something yeah. like that. I'm not familiar with that one, but it, I mean, yeah, Taleb does speak about optionality endlessly. Yeah. So, so it's very, you know, so, all oh, right, yeah, I'm doing something right. 
but it was Australian dude who taught me how to do that. He wrote a book called nice. how, to, how to Buy a House for a Dollar. Might be worth okay. getting. Might be worth getting a copy. Yeah, Which, sounds about right. If I bet a, you did it all in the UK, your real estate investing. Yeah, we've got one property in uh, in Turkey, which is where I spend time out there. But the rest is in the UK. Okay. But I've got an ambition to buy buy a property in every continent in the world, other than probably, you know, Antarctica and whatever. But mate, that's that, a fucking cool ambition. <laughs> it's not difficult, man. It's not difficult. Most of it's. Yeah. Uh, I want to get different passports as well. You know, like um, like typical nomad. Basically, you can have passports okay. in numerous different continents. Yeah. As well. So is he missing English as well? Half Italian. Okay. Do you have access to the Italian passport then, maybe? Possibly, possibly. But in Greece, because they're just fucked in Greece. They reckon if you put 200 grand in the, into the economy, they'll give you a passport. They'll give you a citizenship. Basically, yeah. Legends, man. I think Estonia, Talk about incentives. Estonia and Georgia are similar, I think. You can get... Is that a fact, actually? Mate, you, you'll be seeing all the wealthy Asians do that then, because you get a European passport. Exactly, yeah. And Brits, because of, of Brexit, you'll get a lot of Brits doing it as well. Yeah, go on, Grace. I like that. Yeah, well, they need something because they're on their backside, aren't they? Yeah, fucking guys. I really like Yanis Varoufakis. Have you heard of him? No. He was the former uh, economic minister or finance minister, one of the two, for Greece, when Greece um, voted on the referendum to leave the EU or not. Right? And he wow. was... He, he was, he's this really charismatic, super smart, hard lefty who's in charge of the, <laughs> the um, finance. Um, and they, they made a movie about him. He's wrote a bunch of books about it, but it was basically him and the negotiations with the EU and him just making a really emotional plea for why it's not Greece being a bunch of lazy bastards, why they're in such economic problems. It's the EU's fault. And the EU just being a bunch of stuffy coats sort of saying, no, it's because you're all lazy and you don't pay taxes and it's like, fuck off. You know? It's a bureaucracy, it's mate. Yeah. Nothing worse, man, than the... Uh, I was really, really happy that we got Brexit through. Well, it's at the end of the year, to be fair. I was really happy we got it through. I'm a very much of an individualist uh -huh. and I believe in uh, decentralisation of more or less everything that we can. Okay. So, so you, total liberal sort of free market idea then within reason i think like banks and stuff maybe we should nationalize banks and stuff like that so they don't get out of control mm. but but i just look at society as a whole and i think well everything that government gets their hands on turns to shit i don't need data i just look and it's there yep. you know so the less control i have in my life the better and i think so with this COVID-19 pandemic, I think how it's been handled, regardless of opinion on what's actually going on, has been nothing short of atrocious. I'm going to speak about the UK. Yeah. I think Sweden, by the sound of it, they've done reasonable things. I don't know. That's what we hear over here. But yeah. the UK has been a disgrace. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about Sweden, but for, and I also want to talk about uh, your idea of the government ruining everything they get their hands on. But uh, mm. first on, tell me about the UK and they've gone because i've just seen from the outside it's sort of lockdowns people are not interested in lockdowns no they're not having it I don't, I don't think it's necessarily about um you know people uk are very stubborn mm. english people um they're, they're very frightened over here of the, losing their liberties and the freedoms sure they're very which is about great it. i think a servile culture is creates servile people yeah, 
Yeah, and, and, and rightly so. Everything that the government's come out with so far has been incorrect. So that the uh, Professor Neil Ferguson, he come out with, there's going to be, I don't know, a couple of million or something. I can't remember the figures he said. Something ridiculously mm. high is people mm. going to die. And when we didn't see people dropping in the streets like we did in China, apparently so in China, mm. uh, people were like, well, why should we listen to you anymore? You said this is going to happen and it's just not happening. Why the fuck should we listen to you? Anything else you've got to say? Mm. And then you've got this vaccine that's coming. And this morning, for example, I was on Twitter, as you do, scrolling. And Piers Morgan, do you know him? Yeah. Fucking hell. On Good Morning Britain, he's posted something, right? And Matt Hancock, who's the health secretary over here, crying on camera, saying, oh, I'm so happy we've got a vaccine. He's giving it to a guy, 84, called William Shakespeare. And I'm thinking, come on, man, this is a fucking comedy sketch, man. You're having us on here. This is comedy. Yeah, you're having them on. And I'm very wary of falling into the conspiracy path as well, because most of that's fucking bullshit. I'm not saying conspiracies yeah. don't exist. I'm sure they do. But, man, that was a comedy sketch. You could have put that on mm. comedy gold, and it would have, mm. it would have been a hit. So yeah, why, do right. people, why should people believe them? Um, there's people are marching down London, Birmingham, Manchester, every other week now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I'm in. I'm in the uh, the Young to Live by Discord. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Young to Live by. Yeah. Your fan, your um, your audience might be. Yeah. So you're, and they're 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 most of them are English. And then you know, there's a lot of chat about people getting arrested for protesting and so forth. And you know, the overall th- the overarching theme, the way I see uh, these the universal government incompetency when it comes to COVID is bit of a Hanlon's razor, you know, it's just the simplest explanation works best. And it's just the fact that, um, or is that Occam's razor? Handel's razor is don't attribute to malice what you can attribute to stupidity. And I think that's what's okay. I think that's a much easier explanation because the governments are the best people don't rise into politics and rise into government. <laughs> they go into other things. Yeah. And so it's just a simple case of, of, of incompetence. And it's just a case of um, individual failure because they have control over very large systems and can create enforced lockdowns. And it's just, um, yeah. So then rather it being malicious and evil, I more see it that way, you know? Um, but I'll talk about what is, what's happening here in Sweden is, yeah. uh, they have over the last few weeks, like much of the rest of uh, the Northern hemisphere had the worst numbers since the beginning of the virus, you know, because it's getting cold and so forth. Yeah. Um, and people are dying all the time and no one wears a mask. People look at you weird if you're wearing a mask. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, pro- I'm probably part of them. Like you're sort of looking around and the gyms are still open. The nothing's really closed. Uh, people are working from home, but it's optional. My girlfriend still goes in the office on a Monday. It, it's kind of like, uh, it's quite, it's quite ironic that one of the most overbearing states in the world is offering the least interference, you know? Um, I think that I, I think talks comes, a lot about that. I think that's quite telling. Yeah. What, what do you, what does it tell you? Because maybe the, the stories that we're told about Sweden and, and places like that, now you know a lot more than me, but maybe they're not as socialist and that, that utopian socialism mm-hmm. as possible. Uh, as well. Certainly not. Mm. But there's certainly not, mate. You know, there's there's this 
I forget who wrote it. Classic book. I listened to an interview with her. Uh, I never read the book, but it was called the myth of Nordic socialism. Um, And I, myself, uh, I have an ambition right now to sort of write a little bit of a a book about Sweden. Um, Basically it's true that they have a socialist system where people pay ridiculously high tax because it's true. You pay stupidly high tax, but the culture isn't like the, what the Soviet union was or what Mount China was where people relied on the state for things. People are extremely individualistic in Sweden. They are really individualistic. They hate paying taxes, but they do it nonetheless because they love Sweden. There's like the individualists and the nationalists. That's the other thing. Like these Nordic countries are nationalistic, man. The amount of visceral hatred between Sweden, <laughs> Denmark and Norway and Sweden. It's so palpable. It's, it's the same as Australia and New Zealand. It's even more, you know? And I'm just like, well, this doesn't fit into the, so, the cultural social narrative. It's true that you pay ridiculously high taxes, frustratingly high taxes. But I have to say the other side of that is, this is what I want to say before about a totally, totally uh, liberal economy and um, uh, no liberal free market economy. That makes sense when I think there is no moral uh, consideration to be made. Mm. And this is just my, this is my worldview. To be hyper-individualistic makes sense for yourself and your family and the people you love. That's, that's true. And there's a perfectly sound case to be made where that is all that matters. But I do respect the fact that Sweden does this. They say, well, no, we're also going to force you to help others. And that comes, that simply comes through you paying some money, right? You know, they don't force you to spend your time with other people. They don't force you to, and, and, there are consequences of this. We can talk about migration in Sweden because this is another thing that I, I have a lot of opinions about. But um, I, I like that moral consideration where it's like, you wouldn't give this money to us so we can then redistribute it to poor, sickly people if you we didn't make you, but we're, we're going to make you. And, and I don't know. That's kind of where I fall on that. I, under- I, think I understand that. I think the, 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 the issue I have with a government that is completely... In- incompetent where i don't know what it's like in sweden i'll talk about the uk where is the line drawn with coercion because i don't want to be paying if you're high tax rate payers an individual average 40 percent i don't want to be giving 40 percent of my wealth to these people i have no Mm. idea where it's going yeah that's the that's my issue if it was i don't know some fucking yogi who's got access to 10 million, I don't know, 10 billion quid in tax money uh, and they're going to distribute it. I'll be far more open yeah. to the idea of, as, as you talk about morals and ethics there, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's when you've got Boris Johnson here in the UK and Donald Trump and, and this thing over in the US, what the fuck's uh, going on with it, you know? Yeah, no, look, that's actually, that is such a good point and that's probably where it all breaks down because then people inherently want to help others, but they're like, but I don't trust you to help others. And so, fuck you, I'd rather that's why Americans donate so much to charity. The Christian right in America, they donate more per capita to charity than anyone else in the world. Mm. Right. And they're also getting taxed out the ass if they live in certain States. Um, and that's, yeah. And then I think the idea is that charitable donations fulfill that sort of moral obligation you have to yourself to help others, but you also can give it to the yogi. You give it to someone who, you know, can directly help other people. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of trust in the government in Sweden. So 
people do therefore think that the money is going uh, distributed the right way. Though I will say that that trust has diminished. Now I have only lived here for a while, but I've been dating my Swedish missus for a couple of years now. And so sort of had exposure to the ideas of it. Trust in the government is diminishing in correlation to more migration. And I don't want to make it a binary thing where the trust yes. equals migration, but it is a correlation. Um, and it's, uh, and what, it's, what is the issue there? Is there too much migration? Yeah, too much migration, but the, I mean, this is f terribly politically incorrect and now I'm exposing myself, but uh, Anti it's- Anti-fragile man, go for it. Yeah, look, it's the, uh, it's the lack of integration. It's the type of migration, okay? So- yeah, terrible thing to say. Uh, you, you know, like, <laughs> I think it was a million people over the course of the last 10 years. Uh, and so that's 10% of the population. They went from 9 million to 10 million people. Most of them Syrian Afghanis, a um, lot of Africans, and mostly Islamic. It doesn't matter where they're from. It's the Islam part. Actually, I should make that fucking point very clear. It doesn't matter where they're from. It's the Islam part. And um, there are, Sweden has this, this, it's, it's, it's kind of inexplicable because I don't really understand it. Um, but they sort of say, we want you to live here because we want, we know that we're offering you a much better life, but we don't really want anything to do with you. And it's this unspoken relationship they have. And it's, it's kind of chat. It's kind of disgusting, but it's, again, it kind of feeds back into this hyper individualistic Swedish narrative that they're like, no, no, we'll come. We're happy to give some of our taxes to you we're happy to for you to live in the government housing we're happy to give you welfare but you know don't expect us to hang out with you don't expect us to accept you you're going to be an afghan in sweden you're never going to be a swede okay so obviously you make statements like this it's very sweeping and it's not um it's you know, there's outliers everywhere there's a lot of uh different one of the guys i uh, go to the gym with you know he is an afghani and he was came over when he was a kid right and he's a terrific guy he's a swede like he's a fucking swede but then again there's a bunch of suburbs um it's kind of the classic story in any big city with a lot of migration though there's a lot of suburbs and it's like exclusively um uh, islamic migration and you have you know i'm i jeez i'm exposing myself here alex maybe i shouldn't so much but um <laughs> Basically, Listen, man, these are conversations that need to be had without losing our shit with one another. Uh, mm. We can get to the root of problems here and solve issues. Uh, we need to grow up as a society to grow up and have these discussions because um, in particular, the, the politically correct left, uh, what I see playing out in the UK and I think in the US as well, they are, they are stopping human progression by just shouting everything out as politically incorrect, uh, mm. cancel culture. If you can't say things like this, which to me, you haven't offended anybody. There's no offending going on here. It's just a general, to me, that's true. What you've just said to me, that's true. But I mm. appreciate that's only my worldview and your worldview. Mm. Um, we have it here in the UK as well. We've got people, I don't know if you've heard of Nigel Farage, he sort of mm. pushed the Brexit movement. Mm. Uh, he stands there on the coast and like videos boats coming over from mm. Calais and people hate him. I understand he's not my cup of tea either, but the guy's doing 
what a lot of people are too scared to say. Right. And we need figures like Nigel Farage to actually bring the dirt up from the bottom of the mm-hmm. pool because no, everyone's scared to say it now. Everyone's treading on eggshells. So I don't think you need to be fearful of saying things that are politically incorrect. I mean, it's what Taleb says, isn't it? If, you, if, if you've got your own website, you've got your own YouTube channel, if you talk like this, you'll get a, the more haters you get, the bigger following you'll get. Look, so. yeah, I shouldn't say I'm like frightened or anything. I, I just, I want to make sure what I say is what I truly think. Mm. And um, that's why I might've came across a bit rambly. It's it, I'm sort of still coming to the conclusions as I'm thinking about it. Cause there's so many dichotomies, you know, mm. um, um, but, but yeah, you, you, I mean, you are right. You shouldn't be afraid of saying it. I mean, mm. but uh, we are, and we I are, did, didn't even are, say anything. Yeah. Didn't even say anything that, that bad either, but, um, no. but just, to, to finish the point, um, I'm not even sure why I got onto it, to be honest, but basically there is, it's, it's, it's interesting over here. There is a, so many contradictory dynamics between the culture um, because they are economically very socialist, mm-hmm. uh, culturally very individualist and, and quite harsh, you know, that because like there is really this, you can come and live in our country, but don't expect us to have anything to do with you. That is, mm. um, uh, that is quite palpable. Like you can really, you can really feel it. You know, and the me as an outsider can, can feel that maybe more than someone who's in the culture can feel mm. it. Maybe we need to look at ancestry as well. I mean, you've got the Vikings and everything from over there. If, mm. if they're anything to go by, um, that would make perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, if if you believe like Carl Jung did, that our psyche is also evolutionary. I mean, yeah, they're they're carrying a lot of sentiment from how many generations ago is that? You know, yeah. 50, and if, 60. if that's written without going to woo woo, if that's like written coded into our DNA structures then can, can we have a level of understanding from other cultures that this is ancestral? This isn't just playing out right now. This has been going on for thousands mm. of years and is it mm. going to change overnight? No, it's not going to change overnight. It doesn't matter how many people shout and scream and march down the streets. It's not going to change. Yeah. yeah. So well, I think we need that level of understanding. Have you, heard, um, have you studied evolutional psychology? Spiral, no. Spiral dynamics? No. Uh, Ken Wilber? No. So it's evolutionary psychology basically is uh, how human beings, their level of consciousness evolves over periods of time. Uh, not individually, well, yes, individually, but also collectively as societies. So you'll see like tribes in the Amazon are at a certain level and they act a certain way. There's characteristics to that level of consciousness. And in the West, we've gone through what Spiral Dynamics calls uh, orange that the label as colors and orange is the capitalist, very individualist, uh, could be seen as selfish point of view. And then you, you merge into green, which is very postmodern, uh, left leaning. Uh, but they, they're all for equality. Mm. They can't have hierarchy. And then you go through green and you move into what they call tier two, which is the move into yellow, which is, complexity and uh, uh, systems thinking, um, things like that. And then you move into what you might call enlightenment. So as a society at the moment, according to Spiral Dynamics, we're merging into green, which is 
postmodernism, left-wing politics. We're coming out of the uh, capitalist stage and moving into that. But I just thought I'd mention that because it does give a, a broader picture rather than getting lost in the, in the detail. It gives a broader picture yeah. of what might be happening in society. Does it, does it say anything about time spans for each of the periods? It does. Well, it went over the, historically, it gives it examples um, and they get shorter and shorter as it spirals up. Uh, the, uh, green was the hippie movement in the 65, 66. That's when it sort of started merging into green. Mm -hmm. I think Donald Trump is the mirror of the final of orange, which was the capitalist stage. I think he's like the last frontier. Mythologically, that works pretty well. Exactly right. Exactly right. The, so, the culture's uh, epitome of the capitalist. Yeah. Signs <laughs> them off. And I think I get shut down for this a lot. I don't like Donald Trump, the guy. I like Donald Trump as the idea of a mirror of America. Mm. You need to look at yourself do in you, the mirrors. Do, do you say you get shut down? Is that because people don't like you saying that about America or people don't like you giving Donald Trump any compliments? Donald Trump compliments. Over here, he's, oh, right. he's, he's, he's hated. Uh, I, I'm not saying, once again, I don't necessarily like the guy. I've read his books. I liked his books. Um, mm. And I, I like his big thinking when he was in, the, in New York taking the government to mm -hmm. shit and whatever. I really appreciate all that. I like that. Should he be leader of the, the Western world? No. I don't think there's many people who <laughs> no, would agree not. with that. You, yeah. but, but then you've got Joe Biden on the other side of the coin, if you want to talk about it now. And he's hardly the flipping it, the enlightened West, is he? The guy doesn't no, he's not. be able to think properly. For, so, yeah. you know, it, it just seems more like status quo to me with Joe Biden and everything. But we don't need to talk about the, the, the current state of US politics. But I think that's, a, a, once again, it's a mirror of the collective consciousness of USA mm. is what's playing out at the moment. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, that's interesting. i really love the chat about uh, looking at cultures like mytho mythologically like that through a narrative structure, mm. you know, um, because well, it is quite productive. To... Yeah. Say again, it's that th they are in our psyche, but people don't, can't grasp yeah. that these stories are us and we can mm -hmm. take them. But that's the problem again with, I mentioned Buddha and Jesus Christ. You put an idea onto it, they create religion out of it, and then there's a, a massive control structure there that can be utilized mm -hmm. to control people. When you realize mm -hmm. that that's within you, it's a whole different ball game, man. But it just takes responsibility then, and people don't want that. So how do you? How did you get through? Because uh, I imagine after the um, after the contract was taken away from you, twelve months after getting it, you must have sort of gone. Through through a bit of a, you know, down spiral, figuring out who you are. Like, how did you go from there to here now where you seem, you know, confidently orientated on the right path? Started reading. That was the main thing. But that reading was actually uh, trying to fill a void. So it's a good void. It's a good way of filling a void is to fill yourself with education. But mm. um that's all it was. It gave me a great foundation. I, I took a personal training degree or whatever you call it, the qualification. And uh, all day I was just listening to podcasts all day in 2012, 2013, yeah. just podcast, podcast, podcast. Yeah. And then, and that was sort of give me the foundation. Then I took a few psychedelics, ayahuasca and all that um, mm -hmm. commonplace now, which is where I fell into like the shamanic path. Um, and that's sort of, 
you say that it seems like you're on the right path. I mean, I don't know what the fuck that is. I just seem to just go through life and if something takes oh, me okay. away, I'll go with it. I've got no idea what's going to happen next week, tomorrow. I just sort yeah. of. Maybe you're like, maybe you're like this. Um, you say, I don't know if I'm on the right path. There, uh, there's an anecdote. I'm just thinking of the, the, the right way to frame this. I'll just tell it as a, as an anecdotal story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so think about some of the recurring themes from what we've been saying and also what you sort of see out in the culture with people lashing into gurus and so forth. People are asking themselves as they come out of school and they sort of develop into adulthood, they're asking themselves like, what the fuck should I do? And people say that you can do whatever you want and you can go um, and try do whatever you want and realize that it's a competitive domain and maybe you're not fit to do it or you're not good enough to do it and you end up doing what's second best. And then forever, the rest of your life, you're thinking, what could have been? I should have been doing this. I never felt like I was doing what I wanted to do, what I needed to do. So I'm on a bus uh, in, Al- in Albania and I'm listening to Tim Ferriss and uh, Jocko Willink talk about Musashi, the way of the warrior. Um, and it's such a brilliant four hour podcast. They're just breaking down this book. And for those who don't know, the, the story of the book is a um, singular vision journey of Musashi to become the greatest swordsman who ever lived. It's the single goal of the entire book. So it's this man who's so focused, nothing can break him. And it makes for some very funny anecdotes with his wife and with other people. You know, this is just a man who was on the path and absolutely nothing will stray him from the path. And then the book finishes and they're sort of decompressing. The final closing to the book is really amazing. And I don't, not even going to try and say it because I won't do it justice. Um, but um Yes, they're, they're decompressing. And Tim Ferriss goes, well, because this is in the context of Musashi, the way of the warrior of the singular vision being on the path. Tim Ferriss goes, this is a man who's extremely successful by most objective measures. Um, I don't know if I'm on the path. If you ask me, what is my path? You know, I'm not sure if I would be able to tell you what it was but I can tell you for sure when I'm not on it. And this was a real light bulb moment for me because I'm, you know, I'm there desperately trying to figure out, well, what the fuck should I be doing? What makes me happy? What's also going to fulfill my ambition? What's going to make my parents happy? Like you're trying to do all that. You're trying to run all these different um, complexities through. And, and when Tim Ferriss said that made so much sense to me because I was like, Oh, I know when I, I know when I'm on the path because you feel like you're on the path. Yeah. You know when you're on, you don't know what it is, but you do some things and you're like, that's not it. You do some things and you're like, that's definitely it. And then it reorients you more and more down the right way. And so I imagined this man standing with a um, plank of wood under his arm and he's standing at the beginning of a drawbridge that just goes off into the fog. Okay. So there is no end destination. That's a very important point. You, you're not working towards something. The only purpose is the journey on the path. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm standing at the beach and I got this one plank of wood under my arm. And every time I do something that's on the path, bang, you put down another plank of wood and you pick up another piece of wood on the path. Good. Another piece of wood, pick up the piece of wood. You do something off the path. You fall off the bridge and you don't die. It's not like you have to start again. You just pick up where you left off before. Nice. And you try to do something that orients you on the path. And then that's life. You're just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Um, and so 
That's that's beautiful, man. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's like the via negativa approach as well, isn't it? It's like the the question of God. uh, It's like, I don't know what God is, but I can tell you what he isn't. Mm. Yeah. That was beautiful, man. Yeah, thanks for that. uh, I needed to hear it. So, yeah. You should, you should totally, you and, and everyone listening, it's episode 100 of the Jocko podcast. It's worth your time. Yeah, cool, cool. Mythology, you seem quite big into mythology. Do you, do you know about the ground myth and stuff? Have you studied that? Uh, I'm hesitant to say I know a lot about it, but I mean, I definitely dabble. <laughs> I definitely dabble. I've mm. got a bunch of notes, actually. I'm ready to make a whole podcast on Norse mythology, so I can talk nice. about that. Yeah, let's talk but about that. But if you yeah. talk about just... But if you just talk about, um, you know, Carl Jung and Eric Neumann and um, Joseph Campbell, I, you know, I'm familiar with myths from this level. So, um, but I like the idea. I mean, you bring up the grail myth. Yeah, it's, it's the journey. It's not about actually getting the grail. The whole point is finding the grail and searching for the grail. That's like individuation. Individuation is the grail myth. You can never fully individuate that. That would make you Buddha or Jesus Christ. Like you cannot fully individuate, but by being on the path, on the grail myth, on the path to individuation, that is, um, you know, that that's as close as you can ever get to be on the right individuation path. Yeah, I agree. I read, have you heard of Robert Johnson? He, he, she, we, no, I haven't. He's a young analyst, very famous. I think he passed away 2012, something like that. Uh, And he, he was, it was a phenomenal book. It was about masculine psychology called he, yeah. H-E. And he talked about the, the, the passable myth, you know, passable that he's, he's like the, the, the joker, if you like, in the grail myth. Mm. And uh, talked about the essential story is that the, the clown or the, the joker inside of us, the child that's still residing within us needs to, is the healer of you as a man. You need to bring that back out. That's the essential story in about two lines. Okay. <laughs> it talks about a bridge um, as well. And, and we cross oh, yeah. the bridge and sometimes the, the drawbridge comes down and hits the back of your horse and you fall off. Oh, mate. Yeah. I love those synchronicities, you know. Yeah, check it that out, That story's man. in all of us somewhere. It's somewhere down in the deep depth of the unconscious. So I've got a book on North, uh, Norse mythology as well. Um, yeah. Shamelessly, I haven't read it but it's fucking about uh-huh. that thick. It, uh, it must be one of the famous ones. Otherwise I wouldn't oh, Christ. It, to be fair. So tell yeah. me a bit about that, what you know about it. No, I just tackled the, the Penguin edition of Norse mythology, you know? So it's the, the earliest translations, forget the guy's name, some Icelandic, uh, Icelandic dude from the 1500s, 1600s. This is the, the earliest written translations of the Norse myths we have. But as you know, the Vikings lived five, six, uh, the year 5600 AD. So there's still a lot of time between them. Um, but, um, it's the English translation of this Icelandic translation. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just the, the myths as, as they run. And I, I read this and made notes purely out of interest way, but this is years ago, way before I even heard of who Carl Jung was and, 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 um, Eric Neumann, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and, and all this sort of stuff. And I just liked it for kind of the stories of it. I think it's such a fascinating worldview, you know, the, the depths of creativity, the way that that the you know as a Norseman you're living up here in fucking dull Sweden, mate. It's tough to live here if mm. if I don't have all this you know good technology around me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they explain their entire world, but they explain it so elegantly, and they create a real warrior culture. But it's not warrior in the sense of 
bloodthirsty and war is good and killing is good. It's just a, uh, a, a culture of, it's an, it's a mythology that teaches the Ubermensch values as closely mm. as you can come to it. Like yeah. you, you should always be taking on responsibility. You should always do what's hardest, you know, because this will then free you from all your problems like that. And that's an interesting thing that runs mm. through it. Mm. Uh, you know, some and then, of the most simple things like that can change, especially as a young man, mm. just a little thing like that can change your entire outlook on life. Yeah. And that's what it did for oh, me. Mate, things like that. Imagine if you're growing up and your heroes are Thor, mm. Odin, Baldur, yeah. Loki, <laughs> like Fenrir, you know, mm. the, these are, these are, these are noble, but also extremely sort of aggressive, disciplined, powerful, you know, th these are the sort of role models you want to have. And, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, I actually today there's a podcast on the Nissim podcast is going to be released and it's about anti-fragile and Norse mythology. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So the great thing about Nissim Taleb and his ideas, I, I, you're familiar with the, the Lindy effect, right? What Lindy is? I'm about to get through that in anti-fragile, but I am aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and to your, to the listeners at home, if, if you know, you know, but, um, um, the reasons the Sims books are so good and they have so much staying power and they're, you know, perennially um, going to be selling is because he's, ta he's talking about ideas that have been around for thousands of years, right? So the ideas are Lindy within book. And so therefore anti-fragile is one of them. What doesn't kill me makes me stronger, uh, live dangerously. And you're like, okay, well, um, where have I seen this before? And I was like, I've fucking seen this before. This is riddled throughout Norse mythology. Riddled. Okay. There's a story. I'm not sure if, if you want me to say it or not now, it might take a bit of time, but there's a story of one of Odin's sons, Baldur. Yeah. And uh, in yeah. fact, I mean, do, do you have the time? Actually, I didn't ask you. Do you have, like, man, yeah. I've got until what's the time now? I've got until about quarter to one. So we've got to 25 minutes. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give the skinny version. Um, maybe I could even plug my podcast. If anyone's interested, Go for it, please do. Yeah. The Inserto in the Synthelab podcast. Um, so, Baldor, favorite son of Odin. Okay, his other sons is uh, Thor and Loki. He is the most beautiful god, the most powerful god. Like people love him. Everyone's brown nosing him day on day. And he, uh, Odin's like, well, I don't want my favorite son to die. So he goes around the cosmos and makes a deal with everything that they cannot hurt Baldor. Okay, so he makes a deal with the water. Now the water cannot come, the steel, the wood, the fire, everything. Um, and by the way, a bit of a tangent, but this actually mirrors the Buddha uh, mythology quite well as well. And you'll see for yourself why. So uh, Odin goes around, his father makes it so that Boulder is essentially infinitely robust. Okay. Nothing can kill him because no cosmos in the, in the, nothing in the cosmos can harm him. And his, uh, his fucked up mates, you know, because they're a bunch of, big Viking boys. Like they want to sort of fight and stuff. They start um, hitting uh, Boulder with the swords. They're firing off arrows. They're pushing him off cliffs. They're, they're just, they're fucking around with him because he can't die. And it's quite a bit of, it's quite a bit of fun. And then Loki comes in the source of all disorder in yeah. any uh, North mythological story. And he goes, yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not having any of this. And he somehow, because he's very cunning, figures out that mistletoe was the one thing that Odin overlooked. And so in mis and so mistletoe, because it's this harmless, it could never hurt anybody. You know, it's, it's this totally weak material. Uh, 
Loki figures this out and Loki throws mistletoe into the direction of a flying arrow. The arrow hits Boulder. He dies immediately. Okay. So why does this have anything to do with anti-fragile? Boulder is supposed to be infinitely robust. And the whole point of anti-fragile is you want to improve from disorder. There's, yeah. there's no point being perfectly robust because if you're perfectly robust, you never improve. Now you might be able to withstand a lot, but you need to be improving. And so, because if you're not improving, you're dying. And so as um, what, what, this, what this great little story just shows is the power of anti-fragility, the power that you need to have disorder to improve in your life. Because Boulder would have been better off if he had not been made invincible, if he had not been made totally robust, and if he had been forced to hurt sometimes and to go through difficulty sometimes, mm. he never would have been in a position where an arrow is flying his way with some mistletoe tipped on it. Mm. So it's a beautiful like little thing. And, I, and it's perfectly anti-fragile because it hits on what is fragile, what is robust, and then what is anti-fragile. Yeah, yeah. Nissi could have freaking pulled this out of, uh, you know, and, and created anti-fragile from that alone. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was brilliant. And then furthermore, uh, what makes the Vikings so powerful in battle? Well, it's anti-fragility because they're fighting for a seat in Valhalla. You know, whether it's true or not, this is what they, yeah. to their core, believe. To their core, you know? Like, they want to be in the halls of booze. Like, and rightly so. That seems like a good place to go. <laughs> so these guys are, you know, they, they go into battle and they know that if they die more gloriously in, in battle, then they're more likely to go to Valhalla. So they would rather one verse 100 than two verse 100. They yeah, want yeah. the difficulty. They want yeah. the worst odds and therefore they perform better because it's more glorious. And that's anti-fragile as well because mm. what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's the, the, that's the skinny basically. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, so where, where can people find that? What was the uh, podcast called? It's called the Inserto and the Simtaleb podcast. Right, okay. I'll put that in the show notes anyway. Nice, yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. Yeah, and did you know that Loki um, is where the Christians got Lucifer from? Is that a fact? I did not know that. It is indeed, yeah. You won't hear that in Christian uh, tongue, but yeah, yeah that's yeah. where it comes from. Um, as you mentioned there, the Buddha and all that, these stories, as Joseph Campbell said, they're all talking the same language, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, map, mapping, that, mapping our own psychology and uh, it just and takes creates a very break. interesting question it does it does yeah. man uh, like all, with, if they're all go on, go on. oh sorry you're gone you're gone i'm gonna say hero with a thousand faces by joseph campbell he just puts all these together and have you read that mm. yeah 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 and it's just like man if people who haven't read that you just need to go and pick that book up because mm. every story that you've been told also, and it's also just endlessly fascinating it's so cool yeah. You know, I have a, I have a, a, an article on Atlas Geographica on a hero with a thousand faces uh, and just talking about how the hero's journey is um, it's the most reliable framework for telling a story in, that Hollywood has. And then you start seeing it and you're like, oh my God, the fucking hero's journey is everywhere yeah. to the point where it's getting a bit monotonous. We, we need a new story. We need a new narrative. Actually, I checked. So was it your last your last email? I think that you sent out about um, a book on storytelling. Yes, that's a great that's a great one. Yeah. What was the book called? Uh, that's it's called Story Worthy. It's got nothing to do with myth. Um, oh. This is just a guy who is there's a it's called the Moth Stand Up. Uh, it's a live storytelling thing, and he's just wins it all the time. He tells very oh. very compelling stories but not from amazing experiences. You know, he would be able to tell you a very compelling story about a, you know, a trip down to the grocery store. Right. So that, that, that's what that book's about. Um, and I wrote a story 
based off what I learned on that, trying to see if it was any good or not. <laughs> I'm not sure. How did you find that? Uh, Ali Abdal, actually, one of your countrymen. Yes. Um, he recommended it uh, fucking yonks ago and I picked it up. Thought it was yeah. good. Just on Kindle. It's a short read. It's really good. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Did you, do you review stuff on your website? Do you like put book reviews and stuff on there? Uh, I, you mean to be, to be, to fund, did you say? No, reviews, book reviews. Uh, reviews. Um, mm. no, not necessarily. You could technically say that all my Nassim Taleb ones are reviews, but they're not, they're, they're not really reviews. They're more summaries. They're more just expanding on certain ideas from it. Mm. Mm. Um, I think it's, I have tried writing a book review. I think it's a really hard thing to do. Have you ever tried doing it? I do book notes. Uh, so do you find it difficult to do like a review? Uh, yeah, I do. Let me just, so that's one idea. So have you read that power by Robert Greene? No, I haven't. Okay. So like, I do all that, you know, can you see that on the camera? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got that. Post-it notes and all that shit. And then I'll go back through them uh, where I've written the margins and then ones that still appeal to me at the time, I'll then put those book notes on my site. Okay. So people don't want to read the books if they're too lazy or whatever. Or yeah. Just read the notes. That's it. And then they can make their own summary off the back of that. Nice. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing to do. Mm. Uh, where do you see Atlas Geographical moving forward? I know you mentioned that story about the bridge there, so maybe you've answered it yourself. But have you got any big yeah. visions? I think it's pretty cliche, man. It's exactly what it looks like. You know, I want, to, I want Atlas to continue to grow in readership. And I want my writing that I produce on it to uh, get better and better and better. Uh, I don't see any change in terms of the type of content that goes on there. You know, if you look at my drafts in my WordPress, they're totally uncorrelated, have nothing to do with each other, but it's just little interest that I get. Maybe, maybe you get this as well. Uh, I get this all the time, you know, reading a book or watching the movie or talking to my girlfriend or going for a walk. And I'm like, fuck, that's interesting, actually. And I'll just make a little note about it. And then I'll come home and I'll open up as a new post on WordPress, maybe write a paragraph and let it sit there, you know, because one day I can return to it. Mm. Emma recently stirred on this really, now this is a fucking big concept to try and tackle, right? So it's not like it's going to come out any day now, but it was uh, racism versus culturalism. She was making the point that people aren't necessarily racist anymore. They're, they're culturalists, right? Like you, you hate other cultures. Like you don't give a fuck about what they look like. It's their culture that you don't like. And I'm like, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. So, um, you know, I want to try and expand on that. Um, that's, a, yeah, great, that's yes. a great idea. Just touch it on that very briefly. Did you say that was your missus who did that? Yeah. Right. I've had this myself. I've never written about this. Uh. About if a culture... Have you, you know kinesiology? Uh, no, not, not enough to talk about it. Okay, so you use your, the muscles of the body goes strong, uh, stay strong or goes weak based on uh, a lie or the truth. Now, okay. once again, you need practice in it, take it for what it's worth. Science uh -huh. laughs it off. A small part of science thinks it's legit. So it's one of yeah. them. Okay. If, a, if a culture is at, let's say, out of a thousand, let's say they're at 130 unconscious the scale of consciousness dr david hawkins and he eats 130 and you've got a scale uh, a culture that's at 350 how can the culture at 130 integrate with the culture at 350 
Mm. That completely different worldviews, completely right. different behavioral patterns that are going on. They can't integrate. It's too big a jump. You might get mm -hmm. 250 to 300, but you're never going to get the 130 up to 350. And mm -hmm. this is one of the big problems that's going on in the world right now is that they can't integrate. Mm -hmm. like, I, say yeah, to I say to people, my friends, like some of them are still lager louts, you know, just get pissed up every weekend and stuff. Uh -huh. I say, if you went to the middle of Islamabad in Pakistan, right, and did what you do there, you're not going to last long, right? No, you're not, mate. And vice versa, it works both ways. Uh, and we yeah. need to be open to this discussion. Yeah. You know what? That's exactly what I was trying to say earlier about um, all the Islamic migration into Sweden. It, like that, that's the problem. It's the cultures, like you said, a 130 can't integrate with a 350. And if it's a 130 culture, that doesn't, that's not a, that's not saying it's less than so it's, it's, exactly. a, it's, you're saying different. It is yes. very, very different. People see the world extremely differently. Do you go and make friends with people that see the world totally different to you? I mean, maybe you do, but like, are they, uh, yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? So you're totally right. It's the, um, the, uh, that's, that's what I was trying to say before. I think you're that does feed into the, go on. No, you're gone. Oh, you were going to say something else you said about, uh, I was just, yeah, the, the, the culturalist versus racist, mm. um, because you are definitely immediately going to be labeled a racist if you're like, well, perhaps I don't want, you know, someone with a, um, within the kib, niqab, coming into, you know, the cafe with me, right? Again, shit, uh, I feel fucking terrible saying this for some reason. I suppose the society's drained me to feel terrible about suggesting it, but um, it's not because I'm a racist. It's because it's, I don't like that. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's not a part of my culture and I like my culture. I mean, nothing yeah. wrong with that buddy. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Um, um, Christopher Hitchens said this now, Christopher Hitchens, mate, he is legend, man. one of the best. He's so fucking good. And <laughs> he, he said this back in the day um, when he was doing his massive book tour for God is not great. And, you know, he's talking to all these religious clergies and he got a question in the audience one day and it was on this point. He was talking about Lebanese. He was talking about Lebanon and the failure of Lebanon. And he made, and he said it so directly that if said it today is canceled for sure. And he said, I don't want my country to become another fucking Lebanon. And he said it so, so like, um, so harshly, it took the audience off, off guard. And then Peter Hitchens has sort of followed up now. I'm sure you're a big fan of his, like, mm. I, I like what he, uh, I like the way he speaks, but the Hitchens both speak just terrifically well. But, um, yeah. um, you know, that, that's, that's sort of the beginning of this sort of sentiment. And unfortunately it, for yeah it's very hard to remove from anger and aggression and 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 unkindness you know you, unfortunately i'm not sure we we aren't you know us in the west as well we aren't so enlightened to be able to deal with these problems elegantly exactly. yeah and that's um that's a real problem you know mm, mm, definitely you seem to study a lot and consume a lot of content do, what like how do you figure out your day in terms of writing and, and maybe yeah. if you're reading or something, how do you differentiate? How do you structure your day to make that happen? To be fair, uh, very unstructured. Not, I should be more organized when it comes to this. So I, I run an SEO agency here in Stockholm. So that actually takes up most of the time. Um, um, and if I take today, for instance, you know, I woke up really late. <laughs> I went to bed really late. 
and I uh, wrote a little bit on the article because I felt like it. I went for a little walk and now I'm talking to you after this. I will do some work for HFH. That's the digital, it's the SEO agency here in Stockholm. And tonight, you know, it's Tuesday night. I might do some stuff. Honestly, I might not. Uh, it's at the moment I have the liberty to sort of just go as I feel. Um, and if I start not doing a lot, I feel guilty. And then that's enough to make me do a lot more the next day. You know what I mean? Um, but I do try to, I do try to separate it into days. So for instance, uh, there's three podcasts that I have, uh, and you know, editing the audio for that, making sure the transcripts are right for that, sharing it around that sort of stuff that, that might take up a whole morning, you know, maybe once in a week. And I try to bundle it like that. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you work on it? Uh, my, my mornings are very structured, but the rest of the day is very unstructured. Generally, it mm. sort of fell that way. To, not because I, I want it to happen. Um, so, have you heard of? I bet you haven't. Ever heard of Rape or Harpe? It's no. called. It's like a no. shamanic snuff. So you like, I like blow it up my nose, and that's that sets me up for like half hour meditation. Then, so I'll do okay. that for half hour. Sage the life out of my office, and then uh, read draw the tarot for the day and then I get to work. I'll start writing or um, emails generally about 11 o'clock. And then after that, it's like whatever comes up, man. Whatever comes. Yeah. We should, we should be more organized about it. Cause I think that's in, in the age of distraction, you've probably seen the, the, the loss in time between switching between tasks, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I, I'm very co conscious of that and feel guilty when I, allow myself to do two tasks alongside one another it's you know you sort of the amount out. of times i've opened my window and just chuck my phone out because it's i keep <laughs> fucking looking so i just chuck it onto the yeah. grass because, yeah i like that <laughs> because mate it's just a nightmare and i've turned all the notifications yeah. off and i still get on there somehow i still yeah, same, same. scroll twitter and all that and it's just it pisses me off man i, I piss myself I, off with it. It, it it's so frustrating isn't it because you want to be better you know but but these, they're, they're, they're guaranteed dopamine and we love dopamine, us humans. So it's, it's, it does take serious willpower and discipline to not go and have a look. You know, I've gotten to the point where I've, I've straight up deleted Twitter, Instagram, Facebook nice. <laughs> on all my tablets and shit. And I still find myself opening up a new tab on the desktop because <laughs> uh, I'm addicted to it. You know? <laughs> like you can't help it. Uh, uh, it's... it's uh, you know, when you do your writing, do, do, do you have a productivity tool like Notion or something like that where you put everything in? So you might make all your notes on, on a certain subject or do you just write it straight out of your mind out? Yeah, just straight out of the mind. Oh, nice. Um, if I can pick up on a draft, I will... Uh, Ernest Hemingway used to make the point, never finish your writing at the end of a sentence. So I do that. Even if I finished and I'm like, I can leave, I'm like, I'll make sure I write half a sentence. So when right. you get back into it, you, you're almost picking up where you left off. Now you might go back and edit a bunch and then continue, but that's that that that's kind of how I do it. Right. Okay, that's cool. What what do you, do you have productivity tools that you work with or none? No, not really, actually. Right. Um, I mean, not at all, actually. <laughs> I I do like the productivity gurus, you know, like Ali Abdal, Tim Ferriss. Mm. Um, but I don't know if I've ever actually applied anything they've said. No. <laughs> Do you, are you into the productivity a lot? Um, I, I was like five or six years ago, but like Ali Abdal's only come onto the scene the last 18 months or so really, and he's really yeah. took off. 
Um, really Nat, taken off. Eh? Oh, he's done brilliant. Do you know Nat mm. Eliasson? I think he's, that's how it's pronounced. Mm, Nat no. Eliasson. Uh, he, he's good. He's, he's been a blogger for since 2013, 14, I think. His stuff's really right. good. And, and he put me onto something called Rome Research. And that's it now. I've just got a one-stop shop. I just use that for everything, which is basically okay, like, cool. a, it's like a neural network. And you just put yeah. all your notes in, you tag everything. And then everything you've ever tagged under that name, you can just click on the tag and it'll all just come out. So, mm. so if you write some uh, last article on the unconscious mind, I've written five or six notes on articles I've read or books that I've read, Carl Young books. I'll write them all down on the unconscious mind. I'll click mm. unconscious and everything that's ever been tagged on unconscious just spits itself out of me. So then I just look at it all and just take bits out. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's, that's really good. That's really good. I actually, now you said that I do something similar, just way less organized. I said, when I'm walking around or watching TV stuff, I'll make a note. I'll make them in my iPhone notes. And then I, as soon as I get to my computer, I'll take out all those notes in the corresponding folder in my WordPress. So it's, it's actually all sits in my WordPress. Right. Right. Is it Ryan holiday? Stoic, the stoic guy. Yep. Just yep. stoicism. Uh, he did, I can't remember the exact word that he used, but it's basically a second brain where you just, put all of your stuff into an organized pattern, uh, mm-hmm. software or whatever. Um, and all you've ever got to do is access that second brain then for anything that you're ever looking to write. Or it, draw it sounds by. like that's what you're doing with the, yeah, yeah. um, I'm red, trying. was it, uh, Rome research. That's Rome our, research. I was about to say red rocket. I'm sure I was like, <laughs> not red rocket. It sounds like some legal fucking research, yeah. high that does red rocket. <laughs> Yeah, man. So uh, let's start wrapping it up anyway. Um, yep. Is there anything you want to share? I know that you've got your website, atlasgeographica.com. Um, what was the podcast again? Inserto? Yeah. So the Inserto and SimTeleb podcast. And then I also have an interview podcast similar to this, which is called What About When? Um, and I don't know. Not haven't done self promotion much. Uh, yeah, but if I don't know, if if you're interested, you're interested. That'd be brilliant. You just go to the website, you'll see it all there. Cool. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you, mate. There's uh, some synchronicities and resonations going on, so it's been good. Hundred percent, Alex. I'm sure we'll. Uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll be able to do it again. Not yeah, too long. Cool. Enjoyed it, mate. Have a great day. Thanks, mate. You too. Take it easy. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye bye.